Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. I'm joined this week uh, by Andres. Andres, how you doing, buddy? It's been a while. I'm good, man. It has been a while. We've kind of just been sitting on watching training, watching Potch finally arrive, and instead of just giving you guys the same old, same old, we've been waiting a little bit to record again, to have actual depth to what we have to say, I feel like. I think you're uh, coding it a little too much. I think after last season, we, we deserve <laughs> a break, a mental break more than anything. I've, uh, I've completely revamped my lifestyle. I cut down on the drinking and the smoking. I've leaned out. I look better than I have in the last few years. I'm like, this is a new season, new me, baby. Fuck last year. I just wanted to get rid of any remnants of last season. Um, but anyways, I mean, it's good to be back behind the mic. I know you said you mentioned that we were holding up uh, recording because guess what? There wasn't really much to record about uh, that we haven't already mentioned in the past. Um, but since the last time we recorded, a few things happening. So we're going to just kind of basically overview um, the last three or four weeks here of Chelsea Football Club. So we'll get into who showed up to training um, and how that's going. We'll talk a little bit about Potch, his first few weeks here, the new kit drop ingoings outgoings transfer rumors and then uh, a pretty spicy frank lampard interview uh came out this morning that uh surprised us but i mean it just makes for better content on this podcast doesn't it andy for sure yeah it's it's crazy that the lampard interview isn't getting as much praise but probably because also today Deli ali dropped like a crazy big interview with uh gary neville very talking very about like uh, mental mental health and all this crazy stuff that you know nobody's ever going to hear about unless he opens up about it so yeah, yeah. uh i understand why the frank interview kind of went under the rug unless you're a chelsea fan yeah i mean that was the first interview i listened to not to discount deli ali's interview i did listen to that too and i'm gonna be the first one to say it i used to hate the guy but after hearing that interview i i, I feel so bad for him man i mean just the shit he had to go through is terrible. We won't get into detail. If you guys want to check it out, it's on YouTube. Literally just type in Deli Alley interview. It'll probably be the first one to pop up. Um, but anyways, let's get into this Chelsea stuff, man. Um, preseason started. Boys are back in training. Um, just really quickly here, we had Reese James, Ben Chilwell, Thiago Silva, Raheem Sterling, Trevor Chalabo. Those are all the notable, um, I guess you can say, uh, quote-unquote veterans that returned um, to the squad, maybe not so much Chalaba. Um, but we also got Armando Broja coming back early from his injury, which is great. I know the club did a little interview with him on their Instagram where he basically said that he was feeling good and that his recovery went uh, way faster than he expected and he and he's and he's you know expecting to be fully fit at the start of the season. So that's nice. Um new signing Andre Santos came in. Andy, I know you're excited about the guy. This is the one signing that I'm probably most excited about coming into this year. Uh, Connor Gallagher came back. Nico Jackson, our new signing uh, center forward, came into training as well. Keppa returned this week. Fofana um, and uh, Ethan Ampadu. So um, they've all joined the first team. We're still waiting on a couple guys to rejoin the squad. Of course, some of them are out at the U21 Euros. The likes of Mudrich, Madueke, and Levi Colwell. All three of them impressed massively at the U21 Euros. Um, so I, I kind of want to start there, Andy. Um, let's start with uh, the hot topic. 
I guess he's the flavor, for lack of a better word, Levi Colwell. Seems like everybody wants this guy's signature. Yeah, I don't see where these clubs are getting off because Chelsea has been pretty clear that he's not going to sign, like not going to be sold. They don't care what the number is at this point. And Brighton has to check themselves when they think 40 million is going to be enough. Uh, if anything, you have to quote him probably side by side to someone like Josko Gardville, Fardio, excuse me, at this point with all the hype, with the fact that he led England's team to a tournament clean sheet, basically. And I mean, he did really well at Brighton. There was days where he was playing deep and just covering. There was days where he was man marking Odegaard off the park. The the resume has been building only in an upward trajectory for him. But to me, it's pretty clear that he's staying here. And if anything, he might be a day one starter simply because I know Body Shield got hurt at the end of the season. Yeah. So I, I know people are freaking out because he didn't say on his Instagram live that he's coming back and he's so excited for Chelsea or that he hasn't signed a new deal. But to be completely honest, I'm not bothered by that at all. The one thing that has been consistent out of his camp is that he wants minutes. And I think that's fair. He's not asking for money. It's not a, a you know, a salary thing. He just wants to make sure he's going to play. And I don't blame the guy. So yeah. I'm sure Poch will talk to him. He'll see him. And I, I don't see a possibility where Poch won't be impressed by Levi Colwell. So, yeah, I, I'm not getting all caught up in the, oh, he was a Liverpool fan or he won't, loves Brighton. Like, all all of that means nothing to me. Honestly, can't wait for the Brighton game just to, in the preseason, just to see him line up against his old club, per se. I mean, something to kind of point out is that in the beginning of the season, when we sent him on loan to Brighton, he wasn't playing much. Um, then he started getting minutes. And, uh, once he started, you know, consecutive games, he nailed on that starting spot to himself. And Andy, I don't think it's too too much of a stretch to even say that he was their best defensive player second half of the season up until he got injured. Um, but, it, it, I mean, I'm incredibly high on him just from watching him. His composure on the ball is what strikes me as most impressive out of all of his attributes. I mean, he, he, he really has the composure a la Jorginho or a la prime Sergio Busquets, where he's just so freaking calm. It doesn't matter if somebody's pressing him. Um, it doesn't matter if a passing lane is closing down. He picks out the right ball and he plays it accurately every single time. Hardly ever has a loose touch. In my opinion, the standout star of the, of the U21 Euro. Um, but the good news is Chelsea already had two other stars um, that start at the Euros too. One of them was uh, Madueke. We'll stay on the England theme here. He was a bright spot for England playing as the right winger. Um, and all signs showed that he did nothing but impress at that tournament. Um, did you did you get a chance to watch any of it? or? Uh, uh, yeah, I, <clears throat> I caught only the, the matches that included Chelsea players, obviously. So mostly um, the England, mostly obviously Mudrik and, and Ukraine. And then I watched a bit of France. We'll talk about the player I was watching there later. Uh, the thing that I noticed, and I'm... I'm trying to pull the quote or the stat with Madueke. I think he was completing something like 5.21 dribbles per 90 in this tournament, and he might have had the highest success in dribbling for the tournament. It's um, insane. So I, I just loved his energy. I loved the way that kind of he's been interacting with fans, even though he wasn't at Chelsea, the way he was doing the live, the way that 
recently he's been training in Mykonos because he's not technically supposed to be back in training yet. And, you know, he posted a video and somebody commented on his post along the lines of like, his his game is is really good going into the final third, but we need to see improvement in the final, like in the end, in the end product and the final third inside the box. And he responded, saying like, "I know, man, I've been working on it. Like, I hope that it finally hits this season." Like, he just seems like a, a bright spot and somebody that you you know wants it, wants to make it, wants to work hard for it, um, all while doing it in a positive light. So it, it just makes me excited that he had a good tournament and that he knows that. You know, he has to put in the work now under the new manager. Yeah, and he was actually the one that put uh, Colville um, in the spotlight on Instagram Live <laughs> yeah. after the U21 Euro final, where he basically said, don't worry, guys, he's coming back next year. Colville stayed tight-lipped on it. I, I think I think with Colville, like you said, I mean, not to backtrack or anything, but I do agree with you in a sense that I don't really give a shit. You know, I, I think the recent record of Chelsea specifically Cobham graduates, hasn't necessarily been good. I mean, Mason Mount's walking. We're talking about potentially losing a guy like Connor Gallagher, maybe even a, a Chalaba. So, I mean, I get why he would stay tight-lipped because anything's possible in football. But the fact that Madueke is so all-in on this project, yeah, um, especially considering that, and this makes it even better, is that he was a Tottenham boy. Um, it, it just makes everything so much better on our end. He just, like you said, he seems like a good attitude, a good guy to have around the dressing room and somebody that's going to be a, a social media gem. So I highly recommend if you're not following him already, make sure you are because uh, every now and then the guy posts something pretty hilarious. Seems like a character, somebody that you'd like to kick it with. Um, someone else I'd like to kick it with, Mikhailo Mudrik. Um, he really? took Ukraine <laughs> to the semifinals. Yeah, if his English is good enough, I don't mind kicking it with him. Um, <laughs> Hey, and based on the way he looked in that in that kit drop advertisement, whatever you want to call it, dude looks jacked. He's been hitting the gym, man. Um, but anyways, he overachieved with uh, Ukraine at the U21 Euros as well. Um, reached the semifinals, which, to be honest, nobody was really expecting. Um, now, he was the only one that I was able to watch um, in the Euros. And, uh, I mean, he looked completely confident i mean he looked like the player that we paid shaktar damn near 100 million for running at defenders he has this really uh ridiculous first five or six yards where he can basically beat anybody um so what i noticed he's been doing a lot and maybe this is one of going to be one of his patent moves he receives a ball he pokes it around the defender and then runs around the other side of them and retrieves the ball like it's the biggest like flex it's the equivalent of a Meg here in America if you pull it off during a game or damn near close to it. But I saw him do that maybe three or four times per game, Andres, and he is just lighting these guys up. Clearly, he was too good to be playing in the U21 Euros. It was one of those players that really stuck out. But, you know, going into this, I was a little skeptical about him even going there and playing just because I was worried about injuries. And I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, I have PTSD <clears throat> from the Loftus Cheek thing. Um, you know, obviously Colwell and Matueke were there. I was keeping my eye on them as well, especially Matueke because he tends to pick up a lot of injuries. Levi Colwell had one towards the end of the season, but specifically with Mudrik, knowing that he came to Chelsea midway through last season, technically not match fit, certain level of fitness, but not fully match fit. And then he goes into the U21 Euros and I'm just thinking he's either going to come out of this fully confident and ready for the preseason, or he's going to get hurt and it's just going to set him back even further. And thank God we got 
you know, the first of those two where he balled out, he played really well, got a couple assists, and um, was clearly Ukraine's most bright attacker across the whole tournament. What did you think? I, I think it, it ended up playing to his advantage going into the U21s. I also am trying my best to stay level-headed because he is playing 21-year-olds again, yeah, which is, that's the catch. you know, yeah. But at the end of the day, he's getting his confidence back, something he didn't have at all when he got to Chelsea. And the thing that I think, again, now that I I feel like I watched the Deli Alley interview and now I'm like, fuck, okay, let's rethink how I think of things. He gets to London in January after essentially supposing supposedly getting a red carpet rolled out at Arsenal. He ends up at Chelsea. So now you have a whole fan base that was on his side trying to basically burn him to the ground. So you'd know that he already had a target on his back. He's also coming into a shit show of a team. And right as he gets here, Potter also switches back to a back three, no longer using three uh, true wingers. And, and it just feels like apart from him not coming in fit because of the way the Ukraine league's schedule is and whatnot. And, and then all those things on top of that, I'm not surprised he struggled. Now, the one thing that I like is that he's coming in confident. Poch is also saying the right things. We'll talk about him in a second and how he wants to handle Mudrik. But number one thing is that he needs to be confident. And and now I, I'm, I just want him back in the club immediately. I want him to get this time to, to settle into London. Because that's the other thing. He's a kid, barely speaks the language. And, and reports came out that on top of all the facts that, you know, he wasn't playing his best. He also wasn't really part of the group. So, again, I'm happy that he had a good summer because I'm hoping that he can bring those positive vibes and, and, and the outcomes of, of his U21 back into the camp. Yeah, I mean, and, and Frank mentioned this in an interview, and we'll touch on it a little later, about how bloated the squad was and how it impacted you know, some players' motivation going into match days. And then that just kind of, that attitude just kind of spilled out and carried on throughout the rest of the season. So, you know, looking at that situation, hindsight's obviously 2020, but when Mudrik came in, it was very much a broken dressing room. It was a bloated squad. It was a broken team. There was no, you know, clear identity, way of playing. Both managers that he was under couldn't get a hold of the team. The team wasn't in form at all since he's joined. And, and, and that's, that's something that we really have to take into account here. We have not seen Mikhailo Mudrik playing in an informed Chelsea side. So therefore, we can't make a determination on whether he's a bust or he's a hit. You know, we can just go based off of how he played in the Euros. And like you said, just be optimistic about him coming into this season. I know he's a player that is full of self-confidence. He's a workhorse for, by all accounts. All that we hear is that he's hitting the weight room, that he's always in the gym, that he's always on the practice pitch working on his body, trying to get better. Um, so I'm excited. I, I, I'm... I'm actually really, really excited to see him here. It almost feels like it almost feels like we signed him and he hasn't even played for us yet. Like we're, I feel like we're going to get a completely different, revitalized player in Mudrik. Um, you know, one because of the Poch effect, but two, it's it's just going to be a fresh start. Um, but anyways, we're moving on here. Some news came out this morning about Reese James. Looks like he's getting a knee scan ahead of the USA tour to determine if he should risk playing or just continue rehab. Andres, I, I think I answer this for both of us when I say, shut his ass down, get him all the rehab he needs, 
and um you know event he'll he'll he's professional enough to get match fit in time i don't think the usa tour is going to be necessary for him because he's going into this usa tour he's arguably our best so i don't think there's necessarily competition for squad spots i don't think there's a reason for him to be out there just in terms of continuity he's a coachable player Poch is really good at communicating his ideas and i think he's going to be potentially a vice captain this year too um so based on those accounts i don't really want him to go if his knee really is sort of quote-unquote 50 50 for lack of a better word just because we don't really have any idea what the fuck is going on with him play it safe and shut him down we saw what happened last year when we played him with persistent knee problems he kept getting these reoccurring injuries and kept missing more and more and more matches why would we start our season in a hole already it just it doesn't make sense shut his ass down what do you think i i just think there's no need to to panic i feel like people saw the headline and they're thinking oh great he's injured um he ended the season injured i feel like this is protocol you're just checking you know i wish he i i hope he goes to the u.s because i still think he needs minutes i i don't think he needs to be playing every single game i don't think fans that bought tickets need to expect to see reese james but i don't want him away from the group especially like you said if he is primed to be captain i feel like go train with the guys go be part of the group go be there and Perhaps you get the last 15 minutes. Perhaps you get the first half here and there. Because at the end of the day, the goal is to get him ready for that Liverpool match week one. Mm -hmm. And all our matches are in the U.S. So if he doesn't go to camp, then he doesn't get to play. And and that's where my slight concern comes in. I don't think he needs to be playing 90 minutes here. I don't think he even needs to be playing 45 minutes. I just think I want him with the team. I want him present. I want him building those connections at training, even if he's not getting the the preseason minutes, basically. that That's where I'm at right now. I, I think that the scan is not something to be scared about. I just hope he gets to go with the squad. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm scared, but I, I would err on the side of caution, especially with Reese, just sort of knowing his injury. His, I mean, we also have to take into account he did play most... You, you said he ended last season injured, but... Let's yeah. also not forget he played the, the whole season injured too, and then just got injured to the point where he couldn't play anymore. So that's what worries me about him. He does pick up these niggling injuries, um, you know, a muscle injury every now and then. Now it's his knee. I, I just think whatever the situation is, because again, we don't have clarification on exactly what the issue is. We don't know if it's a ligament. We don't know if it's a meniscus. You know, we don't know if it's a, a, a muscular issue that could be impacting his knee as a result. It can be a multitude of things. So I'm not going to sit here and speculate. All I hope is that the club take the right approach with him and wrap him in cotton wool because he's our best player right now. Um, moving on from the preseason chatter, uh, the man who's heading our preseason, Sio Pochettino, our new manager. Um, he obviously came in. It's his second week in charge. Andres, I was really impressed with his uh, introductory press conference. He mentioned a few times how great of a club Chelsea is and how uh, Chelsea are the best club in London and the biggest club in London. I specifically remember that part. I will never forget it. Um, (laughs) Spurs fans will never forget it either. But um, he just seemed to sort of say all the right things. And his, for me, what was most impressive and refreshing 
was his emphasis on mentality and sort of having a quote-unquote family unit. Um, he very much is South American in terms of his hospitality, right? We get these reports of him hosting a barbecue for staff to meet his coaches, and that was well-received by the Cobham staff and the, and the, and the other uh, members of the Chelsea staff. Um, you know, he he sits down with each player individually, face to face, and he wants to know about their life. He wants to know about life outside of football. Um, you know, just get an idea of who the human being is before he gets an idea of who the player is. And I think just based on that premise, he is going to create a sort of unity and vibe in the dressing room that's going to be way tighter than anything we've seen in the last what two or three seasons. Um, another thing he did that I really love, he set up cameras everywhere around Cobham, um, to hold players accountable for one, their behavior, but also their training. And something I noticed was he also put cameras in the weight room as well to make sure that, you know, they are hitting the weights and they are abiding by their regimen that the staff is giving them. Um, you know, those are, those are kind of my initial takeaways here. I, I see that he's bringing structure. I see that he's bringing culture. And I see that he is the type of manager that is not just, you know, going to put 11 names on a team sheet come match day. He very much is sort of the quote unquote head of the household in that sense. What do you think? Um, did you get a good vibe for these first two weeks? Did they live up to your expectations? Where's your head? Yeah, no, I think, I think anything was going to get my head turned after last season and it starts with that press conference. He didn't have to do it. He even said that in the very first thing. He was like, hey, hi, I don't have to be here. So if you say something, some bullshit, I'm going to walk away. So yeah. that in itself, I was like, all right, he's setting the tone. Like you are asking questions, but I'm in charge. I was like, dope. I love it. Um, I really liked the fact that he said that, sure, there's a process, but the process has to include winning because that's what Chelsea is. It's winning. That it's not... It doesn't help to say, oh, we just played well if we're not getting the result. And how many times did we hear the boys gave everything? This is part of the process. We, we did everything right, but the results weren't happening. So now the accountability is back on the players. And he even said that, that he's going to take the time to see what the players can do, how they can perform, how they can succeed, and, and bring a culture where in a positive way, the accountability goes back to the players. The fans are going to believe in the club again. He he just said all these things about how, number one, the players that he's going to choose are players that want to die for this club. And that immediately sends sparks. Like it makes my the hairs on, the, on my back stand up or whatever the saying is. Like I loved hearing that. And then he backed it up. Players are saying that the first week of preseason was harder than all of preseason the last two years. And and I I posted on Twitter saying that this is the most gym work I've seen Chelsea post in over five years easily. Uh, and then the guys at London is blue confirmed that it's true. They actually gave me a shout on their podcast. They you know they have their connects with Matt Law and whatnot, and they said that it is it is factual that the amount of physical work that the boys have been putting in the first week is is far more than anything they've ever seen. And and other sources are saying that these Chelsea players will be machines by the time we get into the thick part of the season where we have matches consistently, less practice and all that. And that to me is is so important because even going back to when Tuchel came like took over, talking mid-season after Frank, the amount of levels that dropped around the 60th minute 
is almost unforgivable at the professional level. And I don't think we're going to see that again under Poch. I think that, you know, while we will have a certain style and, and he said it, he wants our fans to enjoy the game. I, the one thing that I'm going to enjoy the most is the fact that it will be intense and it will be hard work for 90 minutes. And that's, that's kind of like what has stuck with me the most. And, and he's saying all these things that you would say, think that this man is a dictator, but he says it with so much charisma and with so much care mm-hmm. that he, he will bring these players under his wing. I mean, I hate the amount of times I'm talking about Dele Ali today, but he talked about Poch in his interview and how yeah. he was the best manager he's ever had, not only on the way they would handle things on the pitch, but how things are handled off the pitch. Yeah. And I think with with such a young squad, that's so, so important. Like we truly have a guy in charge, a leader that's going to put us in the right direction. Like it's not depending on, you know, for, for so long, Sorry, I'm I'm going on this tangent. Chelsea's identity has been that crew from the mid 2000s, that spine, the JT, Peter Cech, Ashley Cole, Frank Lampard, DDA, Drogba. Like that was the identity. That was where the leadership was coming from. That was where the accountability was coming from. And since we lost that, I've said it time and time again on this podcast. It has felt like the club has been full of mercenaries with the sprinkle of of guys that care about the club. Hmm. And I think that we're gonna see the 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 playing for the badge, the playing for the fans, truly come and and truly stay. Because whether Poch is here for a few seasons or he gets to stay here for a long time, that's what he's trying to instill. And and I'm just very excited about it. Yeah, and, and to just kind of cap off what you're saying, um, something that that I loved and that you mentioned was you know his his reluctance to to admit that this is a project to say that this is a project you know on one hand he says yes these are a new batch of players they obviously got to work together i got to make myself familiar with the surroundings and i'm just summarizing obviously but at the same time these guys are skilled enough and good enough to get results in the premier league and you know who better to say that than somebody that has years of experience he came within one match of winning it even so I love that about him. I love that he came in, he set an expectation, he already set a level, and now it's up to the players to meet it. He's one of those types of managers where if there is a player who aren't meeting those levels, he will leave them out. He will excommunicate them. He will isolate them away from the rest of the side who still focus on the main goal. And that's also what I love because a big criticism I had over uh, Potter and also over Frank, when he came back as an as an interim manager, was we were playing guys that we knew weren't going to be at the club next. When when and and we're playing them in place of guys who could still be there next, or in place of guys where we could, or or, or in positions where we could have maybe thrown an academy kid or two out there who could have gotten something out. So I don't feel like we'll be wasting any more time. I know that's uh, very basic to say; it should just be basic for every manager, but. That's something I'm excited about. You know, the fact that this guy is no bullshit. If you're not with it, you can get the fuck out. He very much is of that mindset. Um, moving on here, uh, just so we can kind of get through things. We do have a lot to cover still. I want to talk quickly about the kit. So um, a <laughs> couple issues here. Uh, multiple sponsors falling through the cracks. Um, most notably, Stake.com was voted down by the Chelsea Supporters Trust. 
Um, I don't even think steak is available here in the U.S. Andres, gamble on. I I don't um, gamble in that way, so I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, Bova- I'm a Bovada guy. Um, I, I, I never heard of steak being here stateside. But in either case, um, the kit was dropped without a, a sponsor on the front of it and also without a sleeve sponsor as well. And in my opinion, it should fucking stay that way because it is beautiful. <laughs> um, it's an ode to the 97-98 UEFA Cup Winners Cup victory and that team um, recently I saw a picture of Gianluca Vialli, rest in peace uh, you know, wearing the, the 97-98 kit. kit and yeah, exactly, the auto glass kit and I just thought to myself man, I wish I was you know, around uh, I, I, you know, I wish Chelsea was in my life at that time so I could have bought that kit but now we get the chance I mean, the new kit is very similar to it. Obviously, the white trim is a little bit smaller. Um, it does have a beautiful design, beautiful colors. And, um, you know, this is the first Nike kit so far under Nike that I have just been head over heels in love with um, in terms of home kits, let's be fair, because there have been a few nice away ones. Um, but what do you think, Andres? Is this the nicest home kit Mikey- Nike's made so far? Yeah, they got it right this year. I, I, wasn't, <clears throat> I wasn't too sure... I was going to believe them when they said they were going to move like, you know, the people designing the Chelsea thing to be like London based people that understood more what the club was like. Cause they said like, you know, we, we have been doing it kind of like off location, kind of half-assing it and it shows it's freaking sick. And you, you forgot to mention Paramount plus was denied by the premier league. We actually had struck a deal with Paramount plus as our front shirt shirt sponsor. So that one was a bit of a bummer as well because that would have looked great on this kit. Um, I wish we could buy it without a without a sponsor. I just know that they're gonna put it on pre order until a sponsor is ready. I don't see how they get away with that. I think that that's a missed opportunity, and I think the potential future sponsor would not be pleased if that's the case. But I don't see how a sponsor messes up this kit. I really don't. It's freaking beautiful. Unless it's and, like OnlyFans or something. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's gonna happen. I think I think we'll get like I could see like apparently they're only asking for twenty five mil for the season because they just kinda wanna get something across the board. Why not go back to Allianz? Just go back to them and be like, Hey, remember when we asked for too much money? <laughs> you wanna mm-hmm. do twenty five for this first year and then we can renegotiate next year if you'd like, if we do well. The way I see it get your 25 mil sponsor in this year and let Poch and the boys show the business world that we're back and a new deal will be done by October, November. The big money multi-year deal will come to our front door and, and we won't see this again. I just think just like managers were weary of the new ownership and, and why it took so long to, to nail down Poch, I also see businesses having that same approach it was a shit first year yeah let the let the playing kind of show them that we're not going to lose any sort of like popularity worldwide popularity exactly so to me get something across the board for that 25 mil one year deal or tell them that it's a one year provisional deal and they get first dibs of next year or something like that whatever it takes but to me it's perfect. I can't wait to see what else is in store. There's like a there's like a pistachio slash minty one that's rumored as a second yeah, or third kid that looks that great. Beautiful. And I then love the, the training other top. one. 
the okay, I was gonna get to training in a second. The away kit, it's this like is this like also sort of retro black with like laser blue lights. That mm-hmm. one looks class. And I think I think that one, unlike the home kit, is missing the the sponsor. I think it'll look better with a sponsor on it. I think uh, I think the away kit should have or even the alternate kit, whichever one. One of those kits need to have some sort of yellow trim just to like fully round off the 97 98 kit because like i know this kit has a little bit of yellow trim on it but they did more gold yeah yeah on the away kits especially though gold awake fucking beautiful what was it frank's first season where we had the all yellow the, kit? the fa cup yellow kit with the oh blue those trimmers. are beautiful yeah, yeah. And, and then even again, last under, year when we had under the gold jose kits. under jose we had like a, a callback to that that was like yellow with a blue collar the year yeah. that we won the league under Jose, those were class. Even the black too. I think... one with the yellow looked nice too. Um, what black year was it? Yellow. It was a black Are you away talking about kit. The Conte year? No, 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 no. It wasn't the Conte year. It was before that. I'm trying to remember who was the manager at. I don't know why a picture of Frank pops up in my head. Where are you thinking of the navy horizontal stripes with the yellow no, outline? It was it was a black away Adidas kit. And With it had orange. like the yellow on like the ribs. It had like yellow oh. stripes like right on the rib. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was under. It was the third kit one year. Th- those I are believe, my all time. That's my all time. I believe Samsung kit. was still the. Yeah, it was. It, when, was, it was the kit. Frank Lampard broke the goal scoring record for Chelsea in that. Kit. Yep. Say that. That's why Lampard pops up in my head. That's exactly why because he broke the records yeah. wearing that kit. But yeah. Those are the most beautiful away kits, in my opinion. Seeing this new rumored black kit with like the lightning going through it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of it. But man, I just think it's a missed opportunity if you don't go with a little more yellow. But either way, like you said, both rumored designs are still beautiful nonetheless. Um, yeah. So I can't complain. I, After the last and- couple of years of dog shit, this is like <laughs> a heaven sent. On top of that, every training kit, I want it all. I want everything. I want to spend the extra money to get my initials on it. I want all the Trivago <laughs> stuff, whether it's the black with the white accent or the white with the black accent. Even They even dropped a, a like cream-colored pullover with just the badge, and I'm like, fuck, I want that too. Like, yeah. I, it, <laughs> what, what, does, what does Andres want for Christmas this year? A Chelsea Megastore gift card. I want to go nuts. Like, I yeah. legitimately love everything. It's crazy, man. I I will be the guy spamming my like likes and retweets and every giveaway this year. See yep. if I can get some, my hands on something. Hey, man, I don't blame you. Everything so far has looked absolutely beautiful. Um, on a more sour note, hell of a transition there. I do want to talk about some of the outgoings. I mean, I don't know if really this is, is sour. I it's don't not necessarily sour. sour. It depends on how you look at it. Um, but let's start with the elephant in the room. Um, Mason Mount, Manchester United, sixty million fee with potential add-ons. From my understanding, it's based on United winning trophies in the next five years. Um, now, if you've been living under a rock, Mount's relationship completely broke down with the club this past February when they pulled their contract offer to Mason after he held off on signing it. Um, from there, to make the long story short, the relationship was broken, and um. Andres, this just turned really ugly really fast, in my opinion. Not from the Chelsea perspective, because in any other world, this is great business. Actually, no. In this world that we're living in today, in this present time, this is good business. Now, 
you can if you can if you're able to detach your emotions from it and look at it from purely business perspective it's amazing but if you're going to look at it from the emotional perspective when you watch that goodbye video on dress and you saw the bleached hair what went through your mind because everybody and their fucking mothers know that that was filmed what weeks two, maybe at, oh i was going to say i was going to say like a good month uh, two to two, I would Month, say two to, to two. two, two to two, maybe three weeks prior to his first day at what, what's tra- uh, United's place called Carrington, whatever the, that place yeah, is called. Yeah. Um, my thought on it honestly was it, it wasn't the, the awkwardness in front of the camera because for, as, for, as someone that tried doing YouTube by myself once, it is fucking weird to talk into a camera like with without seeing somebody on the other side of a screen like the way we record our podcast it's it's weird that part to me not bothered what bothered me is the fact that it was pre-recorded fully knowing where like he was heading and and it just felt like over emotional oversight or carelessness because even kai havertz had like he had a written statement but his was written in the moment because his statement started with something like, I'm really sorry that my Arsenal introduction got leaked. And I hate that you guys had to see that before I said goodbye. Yeah. Like that was how he starts his goodbye. So he is well aware of what's happening around him. And, and Mason's was like a shadow drop, like Boop, here it is. And, and I mean, no radio silence and radio yeah. silence all season from him him not going out and this is the thing that bothered me was he wasn't going out saying i want to be at the club i want to stay here the club need to offer me money like he didn't put the club on the spot like he should have if he really wanted a deal to go through because most footballers i mean that's what they would do when when they want to stay at the club they state it i want to yeah. be here they will say it in front of the camera the thing the thing i didn't like is is whoever his agent is or whoever was handling his pr should and this is where I respect Colwell. Like, this is what bugs me. Colwell is saying, "I want minutes. I want to play football." He's not coming out and saying, "I'm Chelsea through and through. This is my club. This is, I bleed blue." He's saying the god honest truth. I want to play. I will go where they are going to play me. If Mason Mount came from the beginning and just said. I see myself at a Champions League level. I need to be playing Champions League. And the narrative is, unfortunately, I'm not all in on the the new ownership. I want to be playing Champions League. Thank you for your services. Bummer. Moving on. So Kovacic did. No hard feelings. It, and I'm whatever a leader of the Kova crew. I could nobody has a stake on him more than me. And I was just like, okay, it's time. If and again, Havertz, he didn't say, "Oh my God, I love Chelsea." He said, "Thank you, Chelsea. We had great memories. Peace." I I just wish that was the 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 narrative. I get that the that the club pulled the offer. My understanding and what Matt Law and other people were reporting is that there wasn't a sour taste. It was just that he negotiations ended. It wasn't like I hate you. I hate you guys. It was just the negotiations were done. If Mason Mount was truly, truly Chelsea, you would think he would wait to talk to Poch. He didn't even wait for that. He didn't even wait. So for and me, now it's, we're in the market for a. Time. 
Yeah, and again, we haven't Kunku, whatever you you want to talk about, like he could have played as a as a wide player, whatever. Like that's outside of the, the the conversation now. It's just again that basically they the camps caused a civil war amongst fans and the viewer viewing of of his departure, where it's not new to sell to United as a Chelsea fan. We've lost fan favorites before. We lost Mata in January one time. We lost Matic in the summer when against Conte's wishes to keep him. So this isn't new. We've sold to rivals. It's just this whole thing like, oh, no, Mason wants to stay. He really does want to stay. It's like, no. Really? Because I was told he didn't want 300K, and he's getting 300K. So, like, the stories don't line up, and and that's the part that's bugged me the most here, is that you could have just told me as it is. Don't give me it's it's not me, it's you, or it's not you, it's me. Like, don't give me all this bullshit. Just tell me as it is. And again, that is why right now I have so much respect for Colwell's camp. They're staying quiet. And the only thing he's saying is that he wants to be getting first team minutes, period. I mean, in many ways, it's better to be quiet and not say shit than go out and stake your claim and prom Chelsea through and through because who knows? Six months into your tenure as a Chelsea player, the manager might not even like you. And now what? Now you can't go anywhere because you're not a man of your word if you move. You said you were a Chelsea guy. So I get that from Colwell's perspective. But the Mason Mount thing for me, you know, the the goodbye video especially just completely lacked any sort of emotion. It didn't really seem like... You can't really compare him to Dave, but like... No, but you can compare him to RLC. let's Let's compare him to RLC. Yeah, exactly. Let's compare him to RLC. The guy gave a heartfelt, you know, goodbye. You know, he, he stated multiple times in, you know, all of the interviews that I've seen with AC Milan so far with him, you know, he always said that Chelsea's, Chelsea is and always will be his boyhood club. He enjoyed his time here. He has nothing but respect and admiration for the club and zero hard feelings and yada, yada, yada. Mason Mount could have taken the high road and done that regardless of all the PR. It would have been good PR for him to go out and say, hey, guys, I love Chelsea. I love the club. Unfortunately, I need to play Champions League football less than a year left on my contract this is going to be the best decision for me and my family and my professional career and like you said if he does it that way it's a better i would necessarily wouldn't take it as uh oh yeah have fun at man united but it would be easier to swallow and and couple it with his his initiation at united let's not forget that because the, the the videos they're posting he's mic'd up he knows he's mic'd up he sits in the locker room with his father, who was also quote unquote proper Chelsea in this whole thing. And they're talking about, oh, can you believe it? Being at a proper club, home. Like, those are words of intent for someone that's the boy who dreamed, the boy that thought he was going to retire at Chelsea. Bullshit. Like, again, tell me as it is. Maybe it's, I'm being harsh because. Reese James's dad has the benefit of the fact that Reese is under contract and now probably will stay at Chelsea forever. But he talked, he was dead serious. I I told my son to go to Crystal Palace after the Wigan loan. If it wasn't for the transfer ban, we wouldn't have Reese James. Yeah. He said that. Why can't we get that level of honesty and then just move on? Because now 
there won't be a warm. I I don't expect a warm welcome. A lot of local like fans are still like, oh, he's still out of our own blah That's blah. Thing, but just... I also think a lot of fans are not like this. Could have been amicable. He could have been like come back to the bridge and and uh, no booze. I don't think that's the case anymore. You just I'm not saying like, I'm going to be the one that, like if I were president, that I would be booing him, but zero sentiment left. Like, Yeah, you, mean, you just you, answered goodbye. my question. I was going to ask you, I mean, does he even deserve a warm welcome? He doesn't. As far as I'm concerned, he's on the same list as Thibaut Courtois. I don't give a fuck. You're with us or you're against us. That's the only way I really see it. You know, a guy like RLC, or even, and again, this is not the American bias, but look at the way Christian Pulisic said goodbye. You know, he posted something on his Instagram holding the Champions League trophy. I'll never forget these moments. My time here was special. Thanks for the memories. I'm on to greener passion. Problem solved. That's it. No hard feelings. Nobody's commenting under it, writing, oh, you were always fucking injured. Or, oh, you never lived up the expectation. Or, oh, this and oh, that, you backstabber, you slimy steak. Mason Mount is. A sli as slimy as it gets. The whole way he went about this process was as slimy as it gets. I'm going to reiterate it one more time. If he really wanted to stay here, he would have said it publicly, and he would have put the club up against the rope. Yeah. He really would have. Any good sports agent out there is going to tell his client, if you want to stay, you need to go tell Make ESPN. Known. You need to go tell Sky. You need to go tell Fox. You need to go tell whoever the reporter is, whoever writes the articles that gets the most views. You need to tell that guy. And he never did look at Look at the yeah, the Haya approach to how his contract was, you know. There you go. He was told he was going to renew, and he publicly called United a circus on Twitter. And now fans aren't upset with him. They're like, damn, we kind of fucked Haya. Yeah. So, like, it changes. It changes perspective. Like, again, I'm not going to throw hate on Mount because, again, had he not said anything, I would have said this was a business decision. Had he not said anything, had he yeah, not... Like and so warm and fussy in his little welcome to United and all that. I would have said sixty million on a dwindling contract. Maybe we didn't offer him enough. Moving on. But I mean, somebody really... was leaking every single thing about it, and yeah. I don't it was mostly from our club. I really don't think Chelsea was like, "Damn, we fucked this up. Let's tell everyone." Like, if anything, they would have probably kept this under wraps until the other side started talking. That's exactly. I mean, I think that's exactly what happened. I mean, the club was pretty much radio silent on his contract renegotiation. We had no idea that talks broke down in February until like a month ago. <laughs> we yeah. didn't know in February. We didn't even know in March or April. We found out after the season that there was a contract offer on the table that he never signed. He held off on it. The club got frustrated. And it's as simple as that. Um, I don't want to spend too much more time talking about Mason Mount. Um, I still think he's a great signing for United. but. That's a conversation for another day. Hopefully, it's not even true. Um, a couple other outgoings here. Just going to kind of run through the list. It's not really worth spending time on these guys, but some notable outgoings. Uh, David Datro Fafana finally finds his loan. He's going to Union Berlin. Guess what, Andres? He gets Champions League football next season, and Chelsea Football Club <laughs> do not. So I think this is a pretty good loan for him. I think it's a place where he can go and pretty much stake his claim and, and you know at least make a run for the for the starting spot at striker or if not get some good playing time coming off the bench there's tons of football to go around the champions league for them dave joins atletico madrid as a free agent uh club terminated his contract by mutual consent love that the guy deserves to go out on his own terms 
uh, CP, t- uh, not CP10, CP11 now, but Christian Pulisic <laughs> and Ruben Loftus Cheek both going to AC Milan, the Rossoneri sealing both of their signatures. I'm just going to say that left hand side of AC Milan's going to be taste if you got Teo, RLC, and Leal running on that left. It's going to be nice. And then Pulisic as a 10, apparently. Oh, man, that's going to be lovely. Yeah, I think he's going to replace Brahi. So, um, moving on, uh, going more east, way east. The Middle East. Uh, Conte, <laughs> Kaladu Koulibaly, you like that? Conte, Kaladu Koulibaly, and uh, Edouard Mendy all sealing their moves to Saudi Arabia. If you haven't heard already, Hakim Ziyech was supposed to go. Apparently, there was a conundrum uh, during his medicals where his knee didn't look so good and the club pulled out. So, And then he called bullshit. <laughs> he called bullshit, of course. This guy just... This guy can't let anything just happen. He always has to say something when something but anyways moving on here um you alluded to it earlier the Kova crew is officially disbanded and they have moved to the city of manchester kovacic at manchester city um really quick on just because this is kind of an interesting one is he an upgrade on gundagon no <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he is either so that's why i don't I really know, mind this move again it's pep who knows what the hell he's gonna do I, I, I mean, he's not going to get him scoring goals, but no, I think no, he no. I, I, I don't him... think so either. I, yeah. I just think like, what formation is Pep going to now run next year? Because he one, they blocked six, all three one. Who knows, man? They blocked uh, all the moves for Julian Alvarez, so I bet you he'll be more involved. They keep selling and are open to selling, so who knows what they're going to do? I just think he'll he'll keep doing Kova things. Kai Havertz going to Arsenal. We already know about that. Um, he actually Good made money. his debut today playing in midfield. And uh, surprisingly, Dookie. he looked like shit. <laughs> or not so surprisingly, he looked like shit. Yeah, um, quick quick uh, reality check for the Arsenal fans that were melting over the fact that he would play in midfield. It was pretty I mean, funny to, to see the quick reaction. It's one game. Yeah, I'm I'm holding tight until I dismiss his ability. But Arteta coming out and saying he doesn't know where Kai is going to play after spending 65 mil, I think is pretty funny. It's hilarious. It's literally the story of. I, I um really quickly here, if you had to put rankings on it in terms of who's going to be most impactful for their new club, Mason Mount, Kovacic, or Kai Havertz, what order do you pick in terms of Ruben most Loftus impactful Chief. to least impactful? <laughs> Ruben Loftus Cheek at number one. Hey, Loftus Cheek. Loftus Cheek's move could play him back into the England side. I think it's a very smart play by him. I think that's the one that makes most sense because he's a more offensive. Like he doesn't have to do as much as defensive work, and he does more individually in the offense than what Tonali would do because Tonali's more of a facilitator. So I think for the Serie A and what AC Milan does, he adds more of a dynamic approach to their attack. So I, I really do think. He'll he'll shine at Milan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You didn't answer my question at all. I said Mason Mount, uh, okay. and Kovacic. Because these are the I guys that are going to have Mount, impacts on us. Mount, Kovacai in that order. I still think Mount will start. I think, yeah. if anything, the pressure of the number seven jersey could get to him. Pressure of jersey and price tag. United fans aren't the nicest. I mean, look at Sancho. Look at even the way they treat Rashford when he's not scoring. So... It's uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, a lot of money. A big, big 
expectation with that jersey. We'll see. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I, I'd go in too. Um, I didn't know they were still alive until I saw the news that they left. Baba Ramen, Timu Bakayoko, both of their contracts terminated. Farewell. Um, don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. Um, now, a couple other players that haven't necessarily left, but they are on their way out of here. I'm just going to name them out, Andres, and you can pretty pretty much touch on whichever one you feel like you want to. Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Romelu Lukaku, Hakeem Ziyech, Callum hudson Adoy, most notably. Um, they are training separately amongst some others. They're all looking for moves away. Um, so far, guarding the Lukaku situation, because it is worth talking about. Inter have only gave us low ball offers. Um, the last bid around 30 million was rejected. Chelsea want closer to 40 million. I don't think this is going to happen, um, especially considering the fact that Inter is bargaining over a 6 million pound transfer <laughs> for a fucking goalkeeper. They're trying to yeah. knock like half a million off the price tag, save pennies. So, with that being said, I think eventually we're just going to have to kind of take the L here and no. maybe sell them, you know, a little bit less than that 40 million, maybe strike a similar 35. deal to what we did with Mount. That's what I was going to say. So like with Mount, we offered 70, we settled on 60 plus five. I think with this, we're asking for 40. I think we could settle on 30 plus five. I um, know. I think 35 base. I think the way Lukaku and Inter have handled everything since we bought Inter, we cannot bow down at all like this yeah. isn't even this isn't even the sin of the new ownership but this sets a principle of the new ownership like do you think they're i mean it, they're just jerking us around with these negotiations it's disrespect it's ridiculous and the fact is lukaku needs to understand that he's not going to get his way if the number doesn't come so lukaku needs to go tell his little beloved club in inter to just shell out the extra five million and if they don't i believe there's a bid from there's a potential move with juve where Juve are to speaking to his lawyer to see if he's interested, and the Saudi bid is still live. They're still Saudi, persistent. Yeah, they're not. They're not giving us more money, but they're firmly at forty, and they're still they'll take Lukaku. So the way I see it, no, do not bow down to Inter at all because they moved the post on us on Onana and sold him for less at to United from what everything mm -hmm. is reporting. They are lowballing on the Chalaba front. They were telling. Uh, us to let go of Aspie for them. So they keep begging for less on our end, but then when it comes to what we want, they do it for more. I still think the whole Lukaku transfer in hindsight is a crazy thing that like, if we put detectives on it, it was a planned scam because I don't see how a, a club in financial ruin gets a hundred million and then their star player two months later Inter like does an interview asking to go back and has it in his back pocket until things go sour and then forces his way back for 8 million loan fee. We still pay the majority of his wages, which doubled when he signed with us. And then now they're trying to lowball us to where we wouldn't even get the, the amortized remaining of his fee covered by what they're offering. Yeah. So no, you need to stand firm and Lukaku can go rot. And, and just not play because you don't even invite him back to Cobham. You change his little fucking key card and he can't walk in. Like he like cannot that. get his way, period. 35 million base or he has to take a deal with Juve or the, take the, the Saudi deal. Because if you even deep it a little bit further, 
Inter can use him for one more year, and then they could sell him to Saudi for 45 fucking mil or something, yeah. and then we still have egg on our face. 35 million base and the add-ons, and then we can talk. Simple. I don't mm. care for 30 mil in my pocket. What a miserable excuse for a f- man. I mean, the, the, the level of respect that I had for him completely went out the window after, you know, the last couple years. But it's just a very sticky situation because we know that we can get rid of them. They're, they're, we're not short of suitors, but fuck, man. I, it, honestly, if we really want to sort of set a precedent um, and, and, and let it be known to the rest of Europe that we don't fuck around when we negotiate and when we ask for certain price tags for certain players, we should give Inter a deadline. A hard deadline. If you do not buy this player by this date, we are not selling him. Unless you come, come at us with a fucking astronomical bid. We technically don't have to sell him. We can let him rot. Yeah, we don't and that's my to. point. I think, I think maybe eating his salary this season and letting him rot would, would send a clear message to the rest of Europe and anybody that's thinking of coming to Chelsea and just taking us for a ride because I can go down a laundry list of players that have signed for us and took us for a ride. <laughs> and it, it, Meaning they haven't contributed on the pitch and they've only fattened their pockets and got a nicer house, a nicer car, got a nicer watch and a nicer girlfriend. I mean, that's pretty much all Lukaku's gotten since he's came to Chelsea. He hasn't won shit, barely scored any fucking goals. He's not even, he's barely doing that for Inter too. I mean, the champion final, holy shit. Put on, it was, it was Timo Werner 2.0 out there. So anyways, I don't want to keep ranting about Lukaku. He could go fuck himself. If we sell him. He'll get sold, but I think, I think we need to to hold firm. It's five mil. They just sold Caicedo, or not Caicedo, excuse me, Onana and uh, what's his name? Brozovic for plenty to Saudi. Mm -hmm. Um. Moving on here, uh, Callum Hudson Odoi, really quickly. There's some interest from Fulham. Um, I was also reading that there's interest from Italy for him as well. It better be permanent. I yeah. think his time. It, I think his, he I think wants his time a, he wants a permanent move. Yeah. So, man, that 40 million from Bayern sounds really nice. 70, right 70, 70, whatever the. Um, moving on here, no public suitors just yet for Aubameyang and Hakim Ziyech. Um, Aubameyang most notably rejected Saudi offer. He also rejected a second approach from LAFC. Um, so he's not interested in sort of joining a quote-unquote retirement league. Um, I, Honestly, I, think, I think he wants to stay two, in Europe. These two, I, I don't care about. Like, these two can just shoot. Like, these two, any offer, take it. Like we were gonna give Ziyech a free pass to high salary in, in Saudi for for pennies. That's fine. His fee was way lower. They, if anything, they had the bad end of this of this whole like chaos at Chelsea. Bobby mm-hmm. was supposed to play under Tuchel. That didn't happen. Then he got outed. Ziyech just is Ziyech. <laughs> Ziyech he, played he was, only for Frank pretty much, and that yeah, was it. He had like yeah. one good month under Tuchel, and then it was back to shit. So like. Honestly, just get rid. If Barcelona wants to offer Aubameyang a contract, just let him walk. Leave. Hey, I don't owe you any money. You can go. Welcome to only clubs interested in our players are dead fucking broke. I don't get it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, I I mean, I hope both of them go. Most notably Aubameyang. I hope he changes his mind on that LAFC venture because uh, Messi's in MLS now. So uh, 
Is it a retirement league, Andres? Maybe. But Messi's also here. So wouldn't you want to kind of come here and compete with him? But anyway, um, let's move on to some of the transfer rumors, most notably. Uh, man, this Caicedo, I don't know Sales what you want to call it. But um, most recently, just yesterday, actually today, um, Fabrizio tweeting that the deal between Chelsea and Brighton is, quote, moving. They're working on their final payment structure and fixed fee. There mm-hmm. really doesn't seem to be a worry on um, on the rumor side of things. All all reports are pointing to the fact that clubs are cooperating. It's just a matter of working out the fine details. Player already agreed terms a while ago. Um, and something that interesting that came out, he had an interview two days ago where he was quoted saying, and he said this in Spanish, Chelsea is a great team, a historic team, can't say no. So it's yeah. public now. If that doesn't put the nail in the coffin that this is going to happen, I don't know what will. Um, my concern here is that the deal won't happen in time for him to uh, join the squad in the U.S. before their first game. I think well, the luckily warm- enough, he's going to mm-hmm. be in the U.S. because Brighton plays in the U.S. So ah, interesting point. I did not know that. Yeah, we actually so. play Brighton after Wrexham, uh, the twenty something. Oh yeah, of July. that's right. That is in the U.S. Yeah, it's, I think it's the 22nd of July is, is the game in, against Brighton and Philly. Um, I was actually trying to make it to that. But uh, yeah, it, it's, it sucks because I saw this coming from a mile away the moment the Rice to Arsenal rumors were firm, is that they were just going to wait to see the Rice price tag. But it's at this point, we've been so invested that I don't see it going any other way. I don't see any team coming in and snatching him up. I, I just think it'll happen. It's just a matter of when. I don't care for the daily updates anymore. I'm just waiting for the here we go. Yeah. At this point, I'm, I, I'm not really waiting for anything else. Is there, any, is there any part of you that feels like this deal could fall through? No. Uh, the thing that I'm concerned about is the amount of time we've dedicated to this prevented us from getting Lavia as a backup. Lavia mm-hmm. is like a, a, almost a done deal to Liverpool. And... I still think we need one more defensive-minded midfielder or unless Poch is seeing something on the guys we have right now. But we don't have that true DM that you know could be something in within our ranks. Yeah. Uh, as of now, it's Caicedo or if Ampadu balls out or if Chalaba is willing to put minutes into midfield. That That's... Those are the only options within our squad that because Charlie Webster went on loan already. So that's the one thing that's kind of bugged me about it, but it'll get done. I don't see Caicedo wearing any other kit, but Chelsea's by August. Something that's interesting and we don't really have to dive into it. I'm going to throw it out there. Maybe Lewis Hall gets a run at midfield. Maybe he plays in the pivot as, you know, one of the more defensive minded of the two. That can also be an option also. Um, Moving on here. Um, Dujan Vlahovic, the Juve striker, um, we've been linked with him pretty much all summer. No official bid just yet. Um, Juve initially unwilling to negotiate, but most recently they said that they're willing to let him leave as long as significant money comes. The rumor is that they're asking for approximately 70 million euros, give or take. Um... But something that's more interesting, Andres, and I, I, I want to discuss this a little bit. Simon uh, Jones tweeted this. Juve is also open to the possibility of retaining Lukaku plus 21 million pounds in exchange 
for Dujan Vlahovic. At face that, value, that's good business. That's the uh, only way I would do this deal. Yeah, that's what I was going to say too, because it leads me to my next question. I mean, do we do we absolutely no need him? No, I do not. I honestly am off. I do not want to overspend on a striker when this specifically this summer, because we don't know what the team like in the big scheme of things. We don't know what the team is going to do. And we don't have a keeper. If we're going to spend big, I, I'd rather get a surefire keeper because that's easier to analyze in terms of what the output will be. So yeah, we still need to get Caicedo. We still need a keeper. I I don't need a seventy million striker who's not scoring. By the way, um, in Italy. Well, let me just point this out. Armando Broja came back, like I said earlier in the pod. Um, all of his performances, for the most part, were positive prior to his injury last year. There could be something there. Yeah, I think, and I think, I think we tra- we I test think- it. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's highly likely there is something there. I'm going to stake my claim and say that I think Broja's eventually going to win the starting spot at some point. Nico Jackson's also a very interesting prospect. I know I was critical about the club signing him at first, but you know, the more and more research I've done on him, the guy's kind of grown on me. Seems to do everything really well except heading, which yeah, it's interesting. I think <laughs> it's it's the weirdest thing, especially because it's he's Sammy Abraham like six one six two. So yeah. You would think that a guy who's, you know, pretty physical in terms of the gifts that God gave him would be able to leap and header a ball. But I think that's one of those skills that could be developed, Andres. You know, he he has an eye for goal. He knows where the back of the net is. So as long as he knows that, he just needs to learn which way to turn his neck. Um, (laughs) Anyways, moving on. The most interesting transfer rumor, in my opinion, that's out there. uh, Rayon Cherky, the uh, French. U21, I don't know if you want to call him a number 10 or if you want to call him a winger. Yeah, 19 years old. Um, News coming out in the last, what, 48 hours or so, really heating up now. Chelsea are actively exploring the possibility of a deal with Lyon. They do not want to sell unless they receive a bid of around 50 million euros. But all signs are pointing that Chelsea are going to bid around 40 million euros, which they believe is enough to get Lyon sell um i mentioned it he's a number 10 he could also play on the wings off the little sample size i got of him i did watch him play in the final uh or no i'm sorry not the final i watched him play i believe it was against ukraine lost to the ukraine yeah yeah i watched him play ukraine Ukraine. excuse me um and let me tell you He's pretty magical, man. I mean, this is this is one of those players that can sort of pull a pull a rabbit out of a hat out of nowhere yeah. on the pitch. Um, he has that sort of, you know, I I'm not going to use the term loosely, but you know, bear with me here. But that sort of hazard like wizardry mm-hmm. in terms of like making the impossible possible or just yeah. pulling something off that just defies belief and physics. He has that. So I think in terms of potential, everything's there. Um, at face value, if, we, if we're going to lock the deal down for around $40 million, I think that's pretty good business. I think it's really good business. How do you feel about all of it? I, I like it. 
I like it a lot. You again, I didn't. I don't want to put the pressure of being like it's an ex Hazard, but when we signed Hazard, he wasn't scoring at the levels that Ryan Cherky scores for Lyon. Uh, he's also been in the first team since he was sixteen, so he's getting the minutes. He can play as a ten or as a right winger is his preference. Which, oh no, look at that! He could even compete with Madueke for the right sided start. He can, you know spell uh Nkunku if Nkunku needs a break so the possibilities are there there's question marks off his on his off the ball work rate which understandable he plays in a in Lee Gun. <laughs> he might not be asked to do that so maybe there would be chances of growth there and then the extra bit that came out today is Chelsea backed out of the chasing after Mateus Franca or Franca I don't know the pro- the correct pronunciation from the Flamengo kid from Brazil he is a 10, and Chelsea was leading the race there, and now Crystal Palace is leading it with a 15 million bid, and it's the same owners as Leon. So putting my tinfoil hat on, maybe there's a gentleman's agreement at this point. Hey, we'll go, we'll back off in terms of this Mateo's kid, but let's talk jerky a little more. Let's let's really put put some true stake in this and 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 talk through it because we already spoke to his people and he's interested in the move. Like he's like, yeah, I'll go to Chelsea. So I think 40 ish mil will get it. will get done uh, or get the job done. And I think that he would be a, a fun sub or a, a guy that can grow into a role. Again, he's 19, but unlike the other 19 year olds we've signed in the past year or so, he has the first team league minutes already. Yeah. And, you know, based on a small sample size, I mean, I was impressed with him. I just want to clarify what I said earlier. I wasn't comparing him to Hazard. I was using Hazard as an example of like, yeah, you know, he has that ability to just do something completely amazing out of nowhere on the pitch. Yeah, for sure. Um, And he's he's completely two-footed. Exactly. Completely two-footed. You you know, he's not perfect. Like, I want to be very clear about it. I I do have my question marks about his defensive work rate. His size. Uh, it's yeah, size, whatever. He's an attacker. Like he's not going to be winning headers for you. He's going to be the guy facilitating for the big man. You would hope mm-hmm. uh, it, the one argument that I have is like, he is cheaper than Jao Felix, but the reason Jao Felix was completely dismissed was these worries about off, off the ball work rate and stuff. So again, it's, is he a perfect fit to everything we're rumored to hear about Potch? no, but he's a 19-year-old, sky-high levels of talent, and probably in his trajectory, he'll have a better end product than what Jao Felix has right now. So I still think it's a good deal. Yeah. Well, at least you'll admit that he's uh, very similar to Jao Felix, Andres, unlike some other... uh... Anyways, you can put (laughs) two and two together if you're listening. Um, Chelsea are still open to uh, Chalaba and Gallagher sales. However, only if significant fees are tabled. I know Spurs are are, are into Connor. That's something that's hasn't been a secret, been known for a while now. Um, Inter like treble Chalaba. We know that as well. Um, I think I think retaining Connor Gallagher is going to be a must, in my opinion. I think just considering the midfield depth we have, the guy can play the ten or he can play in one of the pivots. 
the versatility is eventually going to come in handy for us at some point this season. So just kind of based on that premise, I'd like to keep him. And let's also keep in mind, he's young enough to the point where if we keep him and he doesn't necessarily bang or if Poch doesn't favor him as a rotational player even, we can always turn around and sell him next year for 35, 40 million easy. So it's not like we're taking, yeah. it's not like a now or never situation. Um, in his case, Trevor Chalaba, I feel like, we might be in a similar situation. Obviously, we're not going to get as big of a fee for him. But I think Chalaba just kind of is who he is as a player. At the, I mean, where do you kind of fall with, you know, his with, situation, especially at Chelsea with Colwell coming back? Right. Most likely his, playing a back four. My concern is, is just the fact that he's been also very clear about wanting to play. And mm. I just don't see where his minutes will come because Thiago's still here. So you think, okay, Levi... With Body Shield probably fighting for that left sided spot, not limited to it. Fofana on the right side with Tiago. That's four guys that are ahead of Better him. Period. Him. They're ahead of him. Uh, and and he hasn't shown that the back four is his preference. My honest to God, like opinion is that he should get a one year loan. One year mm-hmm. loan, no option to buy. And then you say goodbye to Tiago next summer. And then you can think from there. Did he have a good loan? Maybe he deserves a chance. Maybe, uh, maybe he knows uh, Humphreys. Who he is by then. Uh, maybe Humphreys is the one that rises to the occasion. And then you bring him in. Because at the end of the day, you have three guys ahead of Tiago that are the future of this back line. Period. Mm-hmm. That's, that's it. Chalaba is a wild card. If. Again, if he stays and it's because Potts told him, no, you're a midfielder now and, and that's where his role is going to be, great. But I do think if Travis sees himself as a center back, the move should be a one-year loan. Um, and and maybe like a if we sell, you get a first dibs for that club. But I, I think selling him could prove to be a mistake because then that puts us in a position next summer where we're going to have to buy a rotational option. Yeah, I I like your idea. I think maybe doing a one-year loan, obviously it's preferred if he goes somewhere in the Premier League, at least that way he can play Premier League minutes, but more importantly, maybe shop himself to whatever team we loan him out to. You know, For example, if we loan him out to Palace, if he balls out, Palace might bid on him next summer, you know? Um, and it could be anybody. So I don't really have a team off the top of the head where I can say, okay, he would be perfect there. Um, but if Inter yeah, weren't I, such pricks, I would have just said, yeah. Loan I would have said, Inter. yeah. I would have said, just loan him to Inter, exactly. Maybe we can, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to do with him. But I'm going to throw this out there, Andre. You know, we did criticize him a lot last season, especially when we converted to back four, um, because he, he looked shaky, let's just be honest. Whether he was playing uh, center back, he was shaky, or whether he was playing right back, he looked shaky. But going into this season, knowing that we could potentially land Caicedo in the next couple of days or weeks, whatever it might be. If we have a true out-and-out DM, we have a manager that emphasizes a certain identity, and we abide by that identity, don't you think he could do better in a back four? Especially, like, if, if he's getting minutes next to, like, a, like a Tiago Silva, a, a really experienced guy who can kind of, you know, help him out for the, at least the first part of the season until the yeah. wheels get moving. I think if there's some cohesion within the squad, within the manager, within the dressing room, all of the above, everything that was going on last year, if, if there's all just not of that enough turns minutes. good this year, yeah. 
the minutes. There's not enough minutes, and he wants the minutes. Again, that's another player that's not saying I'm Chelsea through and through. He's staying quiet. Yeah. He wants to play. He's at training, showed up on time. He's not moving the goalpost. I'm like, oh, I'm not coming back till next Monday, next Monday, next Monday. He just wants to know what his situation is. And I think, honestly, we're keeping him around because of that. We still have to see Levi Colwell. Um, if Tiago would have said, hey, I want to retire, I'm going to Brazil, then it wouldn't be a discussion. He, there would be enough minutes for four center backs. Also, Poch yeah. has said he just wants four center backs. Like that's been a discussion. So again, unless he turns into into a DM slash third option at right back, I I don't see I don't see him staying. I just hope the club is smart enough to try to avoid a true sale. Um, we we talked. I I talked about Trev and Gallagher. You didn't really mention. Gallagher too much. I, mean, I think Gallagher stays. I, I think as much as I hated on Gallagher, mostly to tease you because you, you love him. <laughs> I think under Posh and the high press, I think there there's it's a clean slate for him. Yeah. And uh, I still think yeah, he'll come think, good. By the way, I haven't changed my I, mind I, on. I, and I'm not and I'm not dismissing it either. I think Gallagher is our new RLC, where he knows he can be a good rotational option in that term. I'm not saying he might hit the highs RLC did, but if he knows his place. And he's a good guy that can give a break to the others and and give us on a good day a seven out of ten uh, and make that sort of like a consistent level. I think that's fine. I don't think we're in a rush to sell him. He's willing to stay. He's willing to put in the hard work. And again, we have a manager that has a clear idea who's not saying process, process, process. That could be good for Gallagher and his engine in a posh system. Like the memes came out, like Gallagher getting ready for the Jesus Perez or whatever fitness test and it's fitness like test. it's uh conor mcgregor walking in with his chest all puffed up like <laughs> it's true at the end of the day yeah. who runs more than gallagher on this team right now it's to, nobody so to, to be fair to him he was the only consistent player last year who consistently came out and gave 110 regardless of how the rest of the team played even if he yeah. couldn't handle the ball he was still running himself down to the and that's something i always appreciated about him i think potch is going to appreciate that about him too he has like that old school footballer mentality where it's just like that hard nose goes flying into everything at a hundred, a hundred miles an hour energy if for Potch days. If thought Harry Winks is good, I'm sure Connor I'm can sure fucking Connor do could. something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, moving on here. Um, it's actually our last topic. It wasn't even on a script until this morning. Um, the Frank Lampard interview dropped on a diary of a CEO. If you're not uh, familiar with that, it's a podcast on YouTube. It's actually one of my favorite podcasts, personally. If you're interested, go check it out. They interview a bunch of footballers uh, from time to time, uh, people in and around the F1 community, and you know, just different sportsmen and businessmen, celebrities alike. Um, but very interesting interview. Um, a couple things that I pulled from it here that we're going to discuss, and just to kind of overview it, Andres, you mentioned it earlier in our group chat. It very much was a PR interview, a PR exercise from Lampard's team to sort of rebuild his image and, you know, um, sort of come out from the darkness after terrible season, both at Everton yeah. and Chelsea. Um, I'm, I was actually very, very relieved when the interview was over, relieved for him, um, because I really thought he was going to be in worse shape than he was. And I actually thought he painted himself in a pretty good light. Like if you're looking at it from a Frank Lampard perspective, it was a very positive interview for, for his PR. Yeah, huge, huge win for him to put himself out there in this way. Yeah. Big time, big time. 
Um, they got really deep. They spoke about everything. They spoke about his childhood, whatnot. We're not going to get into any of that because it's not Chelsea related, but the second half of the podcast is full of Chelsea content. Go check it out. Um, he, the first thing I noticed was he spoke of the standards at Chelsea football club. And, um, when he returned on an interim basis, the first thing he noticed was the significant drop off in the standards. And, you know, it, it was a little frustrating to hear him talk about that because no shit, Sherlock, we know the standards dropped off. They have been dropping off for a while now. Um, but you know, he kept alluding to, you know, back then we had, you know, the, the Peter Chet the John Terry's, the Ashley Coles, the Lampards, the drug buzz like you talked about. And, you know, he said, basically, when shit hit the fan, we had a bunch of international captains who can just sort of figure it out. Now, it's easier said than done, Mr. Lampard, right? Like, you know, you had prime <laughs> Jose Mourinho. You had, you know, he didn't even mention Michael Ballack, you know, uh, uh, including all of the other talented players that came in through the club, the Ricardo Carvalho's, the Michael Essien's, the... You know, the you name it, uh, we could go down a list for days. Um, it it was kind of worrying for me when he said specifically that he was surprised at the level at the drop off of the level, and he didn't allude to the level dropping off in his first stint. He only alluded to it in his second. So, Andres, do you call bullshit on that? Do you think the levels have been dropping off long before this season? Because I think they have. I think so too. I think he. What's he gonna say about his first stint? Like his first stint, obviously the like the was a success. We did Champions success. League football. It was a success because of the ban. transfer ban. But then what happened when he the expectations came back? Why? Yeah. Why did again? Frank Lampard under no pressure is a very good speaker, charismatic, blah blah. That's season one of Frank Lampard. What happened season two of Frank Lampard? The blame game. The blame game. And and again, there's there's hints of that in this interview. So mm-hmm. like I I think he's very well media trained. Like I, I told you before the podcast, I think punditry would be wonders for Frank. I think he'd be great on TV. I also think he is better at at making an idea feel realistic rather than being the guy that makes the idea happen, which is why I think he should be a sporting director. I know he was very involved in that transfer window that included Ziyech, Werner, Kai Havertz, all these guys. I know he didn't get all the guys he wanted because he wanted Declan Rice too. We, but he got guys that we weren't supposed to be able to pull because we were a, a nothing team that just got banned, blah, 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 blah. I just don't think he's a good – he has it to be the manager. He, he did mention the squad size, which his points were incredibly good. He saw about 33 guys that are – guys that get international call-ups and he has to be the bad guy on Fridays and say, you don't even get to dress up, you don't even get to dress up, you don't even get to dress up. And then he sees how that goes into the training room or into the training field. Yeah, yeah. And and I have um, the quote here. I'll actually read it out. I mean, might as well. I was going to read it out yeah, anyways. It. But this was, this was pretty alarming to me. And, you know, something that maybe as fans we didn't necessarily take into consideration. But, you know, we always ask, what the fuck is going on in a training you know, under Potter, under the in the beginning, under Tuchel, and then when Lampard came in, he'd always say, "Oh, well, you know, this player trained well, this player trained well." But you know, he spoke about how toxic the environment was at train at the yeah at the uh, training ground at Cobham, and he said that it was basically a, a complete lack of competitive atmosphere. And this is a quote he said: "With Chelsea, it's gotten the and this is he's talking about the squad size here. 
He goes, with Chelsea, it's got very big to the point where it's just how I felt where I can say, you know, I'm not criticizing that player for dropping standard. I want to try and get something out of him because I had a short period. So obviously I'll try. But then when you actually look at it, you go, yeah, but he's had this for a long time where he's not playing and he's now not being competitive with the other player who is playing. Mm -hmm. So now the player who is playing also becomes pretty uncomfortable too, or also becomes pretty comfortable too, because he's not pushing himself. There's no, and, and that's the end of the quote, but kind of just tie it up. Basically, what he's saying is the guys know who's going to play and who's not going to play. And the guys who aren't going to play checked out. The guys who are yep. playing also checked out because there's no competition within the squad. Their position right. is not up for grabs. They're not under any sort of perennial threat of losing playing time, losing their position, possibly getting moved out of the club. So this was the most alarming quote out of the whole interview. Because, I mean, this is really the first time we heard behind the scenes what's actually happening at the training ground last and yeah. it, it totally makes sense when you look at the way the players played when you looked at the demeanor of certain players you know certain guys i mean i can say raheem sterling for one um kovacic. christian pulisic kovacic defeated they looked defeated for the whole second half of the season in large part and i guess now we know why I mean, what 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 were you gonna mention about this this quote specifically, or, no, or what did you? I was you gonna notice? say, that, well, I mean, how is he supposed to motivate a squad of thirty three guys, or only sixteen guys are gonna see the pitch, kind of thing? Yeah. Like, think about that. Like, you, there's more bad news than good news every single match day, and and that's not how you build success or how you beat a build a cohesive unit. He talked about it. He said, when I played, the way I see it is. You have 15 senior guys that are the international level guys, the guys that are competing with each other, 15 to 16, and then the rest is filled up with kids who are just happy to be there. That's yeah. how you build the culture. And and I think that changes a little bit nowadays because clubs, elite clubs are trying to compete in all fronts. So maybe you make the group a little bit bigger in the senior squad. Uh, so that's where we're at right now. The, yeah. the clear out, earlier you were talking about like, oh, sour note, talking about the outgoings. Hell no. I'm happy about the outgoings. We should not have another season where it takes three football pitches for everybody to play in an 11 to 11 scrimmage. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's too bloated. How can Lampard make an impact on an individual when he has to spend time looking at 33 guys? How can, and that moves on to any manager. Frank mm -hmm. already talked about it. I may not be the best man manager, Fact checked. He is not the best man manager, and then you put him in front of thirty-three players. It's it's a fail. It's a most likely failed situation, and you know it's it's probably why a lot of our January guys took a while to adapt versus others. You know we didn't see Noni until later. Mudrik had spots. The only guys that were immediate were Enzo and and Body Shield, but that's because they're a different butter. You know they're just fucking they're just ballers. monsters. It's different. So it's just. It's like, I know that he was being very political, but at the same time, it's like he was never going to do something crazy. And and I don't think he also had the tools to be ballsy enough to make, all right, this is my group and that guys, those guys are no longer involved, period. Because yeah. I don't even know if the club knew that they could move this many people the way they have. So I don't think, again, I don't think they did. It's, I think like as of right now, if if we can get... The Caicedo move done. 
sooner rather than later. And then keep playing loosey-goosey with the keeper situation until something kind of like happens. This has been a very successful second window into what this season has to be for Chelsea. Yeah, the evolution of Chelsea. And and that's yeah. actually something he talked about. Yeah. Yeah. Um they 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 asked him specifically, so what does what does Chelsea need to do to turn it around basically? And he said, you know, to be and this is a quote, to be fair, Chelsea, they're to be fair to Chelsea, they're in a position now that needs to be worked on again. I mean, it's it's a transitional time, end quote. So that's one yeah. thing. I mean, obviously stating the obvious. But um, he also spoke about how it's already in the work. You know, mm-hmm. he spoke about Mauricio Pochettino coming into the club and how, um, you know, due to his positive A lot of the attitude, work was done in January. Yep. He mentioned that. Yeah. You know, and, and he talked about, you know, Pochettino's attitude, obviously his, his first press conference, the culture that he's establishing. And he can also speak to Pochettino's accolades because he played against Pochettino's sides. So, yeah. you know, he knows exactly the ideas that he's going to try and instill in this Chelsea team, and he feels pretty confident about it. So, you know, to kind of end, you know, the, the Frank Lampard section, I wanted to finish up with that Pochettino note because it's a positive one. You know, this is a guy that came in last year, Frank Lampard, uh, in regards to Frank Lampard, this is a guy that came in towards the end of last season, completely toxic, no matter which angle you looked at it from. There wasn't a part, uh, there wasn't a section of the club that wasn't divided. Or that wasn't a complete mess. And, you know, he saw the worst of the worst. And now, maybe, what, a month and a half after the season ends, he's already able to start seeing the groundwork for positivity and and rebuilding. So, to end this podcast, I wanted to kind of end it on... Oh, no, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I want to say, doubling down, he also mentioned that the owners are also someone, like, he got to see it firsthand, and he sees, like the fan frustration and whatnot, but he's saying like, sure, the way they approached the change was maybe in a naive way, but the work is already done. They, mm-hmm. they signed 12 people in January or whatever, but then this summer we've signed Nick Jackson. That's it. Yeah. We're being very methodical. Kaiseido oh, next. Like yeah. January brought in Nkunku. It was done. It was behind the door. Like the, if you look at the Nkunku pictures, they're from last fall. Yeah, like clear as day, and and he said that it's like these guys have the intention of making Chelsea monsters. They didn't go about it the right way, but they're fixing their mistakes and they have that full ideas and the plans and and they're they're learning as they go. And he even said it took Arsenal like ten years. It took Klopp yeah. like four years. He's like, I don't think he even alluded to kind of like I don't think it'll take Chelsea that long. Yeah, no, you're a hundred percent right. You know, I. It was just very refreshing to hear his perspective on the future of Chelsea, especially because now there's no more self-interest involved in that opinion. Like now he can look at it from the outside and you know just kind of give it to us straight. So if he feels positive about the future of the club, the immediate future of the club, this project, whatever you want to call it, then I do too. Because this is a guy that saw it at his absolute worst. And now he's seeing that clearly things are different that, like you said, Andres, ownership is learning from their mistakes. And uh, now we put the right people in place. We're making the right signings. And we're selling the right players. So as a Chelsea fan right now, let's take last season completely out of the picture. Let's talk about January the 1st moving forward. It has been nothing but positivity from our end. 
The only real negative I would say is the Lukaku. And that's going to be over with in hopefully a week or two's time, if not by the end of this. So, do you have anything else to add? I, you know, I kind of wanted to end it there on a slightly positive note. If you guys are still listening, um, thank you for listening and make sure you're following us on Twitter at Blues on Parade. Um, we are going to start being a little bit more active now. Things are starting to heat up. There's uh, as preseason games start to happen, more signings coming in through the door, more outgoings going out the door. We'll definitely be sure to keep you guys in the loop. Just for future episodes, we are going to be posting a questions tweet where you can basically go onto our Twitter, find that tweet, comment under it, ask any question you want, or just let us know what topic you want us to discuss. And we'll be, we'll be more than happy to do it here on the podcast. And we'll also give you a shout out as well. So that being said, until next time, keep the blue flag flying high.